This episode is from Shakti Durga's online seminar series, Yoga of the Mind. Hi everyone, it's Shakti Durga, and welcome to this episode of the Soul Talk podcast. Each episode is going to feature some of the highlights from live trainings, retreats, online classes, and presentations that I've done around the world. If you find value in it, please text the link to the podcast to a friend or share it with your networks. I look forward to connecting with you soon. Namaste. This idea of us swimming in thoughts, that the astral that we swim around in is like an ocean and that our thoughts are like bubbles, that they arise from us filling our energy field and the astral field generally. And so we're just, I mean, we're, <laughs> we're not wearing scuba gear in our normal life, but these bubbles of thought are emanating from us all the time. And those bubbles of thought tend to emanate outwards and in a sort of electromagnetic kind of a way, they tend to attract people who think the same stuff and they tend to be our friends. Our friends and ourselves tend to have similar bubbles <laughs> because that's what gives us the commonality and we enjoy those bubbles and those bubbles make us feel good and our friends have the same bubbles, we have the same bubbles, we feel very validated and people with different bubbles, well, we just think they're weird but in fact they're in their own bubble with their own friends thinking that they're normal and you're weird and such is life and it's all happening because of the way that the energy field is designed. So imagine what happens when you're in a crowd when you're in a city and it's like this, then everybody's bubbles are all blobbing together. And this is actually happening all the time, although we don't have a consciousness of it. Our conscious mind is not tuned into this sort of stuff because it's overwhelming. The conscious can only, you know, process a certain number of bits of information, but the subconscious processes so much more. So the subconscious is processing all these bubbles from all these people. Um, no wonder sometimes we feel kind of strung out after being in a big crowd environment. So we are naturally telepathic beings, and this is not meant to sound sort of wacky. It just is the truth. We're naturally telepathic. I, mean, I don't think there's anyone who hasn't at times had a sense of someone's on the phone, and I know who that is, Someone, the phone's just rung, I bet it's so-and-so, and it is, in a situation where there's no logical or rational reason to think that. So basically there's an electromagnetic field in play between the consciousness of one person and another, and the more you care for each other, the stronger that field becomes. And so you're more likely to pick up what's going on in the field of someone that you care about than someone who's a stranger that you don't really, you don't know them. But when it comes to how certain things occur, like mass hysteria, how does that happen? Why does suddenly the stock market just crash or roar into life? Why are any markets volatile? Why do mass popular movements suddenly get juice? Well, the reason is because they're all affected by the intermeshing of human consciousness and we catch thoughts from each other in the same way as you can catch a cold. So you might think, well, where's the science around telepathy? Well, there's not a lot of it, but there was a study 
that has been replicated a number of times since the 1970s that showed that there was a one in four accuracy of sending an image from someone. Uh, sorry, the one in four. So that what they did is they had four images. So they might have had an apple, a square, a teapot, and a ball, something like that, or a you know four different images. And they had people sending that the image that they'd chosen, which they'd nominated. They sent the image to the person uh, to receive that image. The other person who didn't know what they were sending and had to tell the uh, scientist what image they thought was sent. One would expect a 4% accurate, uh, one in four accuracy. So 25% you would expect would be the accuracy rate. But what happened was that the average person had a 36% rate of accuracy, which is statistically significant, whilst artistic people had a 41 to 49% accuracy rate. So isn't that interesting? And artistic people tend to be more in tune with their intuition, which actually means with their higher soul, because they're willing to open those doorways within their consciousness to allow inspiration in. And so part of the inspiration can be what another person might be sending. What are they, what image, and imagery is particularly something that the this works on. If you said a sentence telepathically, that would be virtually impossible for anyone to pick up. It's not verbal. It's not linear. It's not rational. It's intuitive. And so it works on imagery. And uh, yeah, so you can look those things up if you wish to. Anyway, so here we are all slightly telepathic beings, but we can make that stronger if we're interested. And we can also start to understand when are we thinking a thought that's my thought and when are we thinking a thought that might not be my thought. And that's something to think about, isn't it? So here's someone blobbing. And this is a quite happy chappy. And when he blobs, the blobs are quite nice because he's feeling blobs of generosity and love and joy and happiness and people are gorgeous and wonderful and so this person would feel good to be around because their landscape, their astral landscape is very harmonious. And so you would enjoy being around that person. Whereas on the other hand, poor old Mr. Fear and Worry over there, uh, you would probably not enjoy being around. Uh, that person would be quite closed down. Their thoughts are very dark. Will always be poor. I'll never get ahead. My life's boring. Everyone's against me. Now, we all think that sometimes, I'm sure. We all have our moments <laughs> when we think like that. But the point of yoga of the mind is that we're able to go, oh, well, these things are generative of our future. Do we really want to be thinking stuff that eventually will all clug, clug together as a huge great thought that gets enough energy in it that, boom, it becomes our experience in the future? And so just because at the moment you might be poor, you might have some people against you right now. So your mind as a sense organ has been able to pick that up from your surroundings and to know, okay, well, that's my current experience is that. But where we get into trouble is that we assume that because this is my experience now, it's always going to be my experience. And so we start to solidify these 
thoughts and felt sense states into beliefs until we come to a paradigm of what life's like. And those paradigms can be very unhelpful. So can the beliefs. And the deeper in it goes and the bigger and chunkier it gets, the more it is that your thoughts are going to be that colour. And whatever situation you're in, you'll be coloured in a negative way and it gets harder and harder. Luckily, we have ways of working with this to wipe out that negativity. It is definitely the case in most spiritual traditions that the teaching is try and keep good company. Because if you hang around with pretty positive people, then the blobbing that happens, which is going to happen, will be fairly fairly good blobbing. You see what I mean? Um, but if you hang around really negative people, then their negative blobbing is is definitely going to affect you. It will at, at some level. And this probably is one of the reasons why some religious organizations tell their people, don't mix with those people out there because, you know, God knows what will happen to you. My view is that's a twisting of this teaching because you'll find both positive and negative people anywhere in any organization, in any faith path or amongst atheists. So it's not about this faith or that faith. It's about this person or that person and the sort of the energy and the vibe. And certainly groups form that are more positive than others. There's no doubt about that. But it's about being discerning and being aware of who you're around. And I've had instances where I've been around negative people and suddenly started thinking in a really negative way. And over time, because I've, you know, I learned this in the early 1990s. So over that time, I've had lots of experiences. And and one that sticks out in my mind right now about this is a time when um, we were doing some work at our Sydney Harmony Centre and we were giving blessings. And those blessings were being given Um, to put positive soul energy uh, into people in the same way that you just receive some energy in that meditation. And what happened was um, as this woman came up to receive a blessing, I thought to myself, God, what an ugly woman. And then I thought, well, hang on, wait a minute, wait a minute. I don't think that. That's that's not a me thing to think. That's that's not the way I roll, you know. I just, I would... It's not, and then I realized, oh, that thought is actually not the shape of my thoughts. It's much clunkier than my normal thoughts are. It feels a little different. Oh, it's her thought. And so when she came up, I put my hand on her head to give her a blessing. And I said to her, You're a really beautiful woman. And she just burst into tears because she did not believe that. And to have someone else say that to her really touched her deeply because what it did is it challenged her paradigm of who she thought she was, I think in a good way, because you'd you'd probably want to get over that, wouldn't you? You wouldn't want to feel like that because if you feel like that, if that's what's inside you, it'll tend to be how people treat you. It will. Whereas, you know, you can really change that for yourself. And on any of the things that happen to us where we use the mind as a sense organ, we have to remember that the mind also has another purpose. And that other purpose is the mind is generative. It generates charges of electromagnetic energy 
because it has emotions inside them. And there's stacks of research around about how the emotion affects physiological uh, components of our being. It also affects other things out there that there's not so much science around. But be that as it may, if we are thinking consistently negative thoughts around, let's just take money because it's an easy one in a way, if we are thinking consistently about what we don't have, what we lack, how there's not enough of this and it's, you know, bloody blah, even though that's been our experience, by by ruminating on that negativity, what we're doing is creating a big blob. And if you think about the V diagram, when it's got enough energy in that big blob, it will flow through to your physical world and create that. So right now, you're probably experiencing the realities of your mind from two or three years ago, mostly. And I'm not saying it's a hard and fast two and three years. It's it's not. But from the past, your reality is very coloured by what you were thinking before. So what do you want to create for the future? And your thinking needs to be of a higher magnitude than perhaps what your mind as a sense organ is telling you right now. So yes, your mind as a sense organ is important, but the mind as a creative instrument is also important. And that's where we get to say, okay, in the physical world, I can see this is happening, but I choose to create and to keep your steadfast intention on creating whatever it is, particularly in your focus area. Because let's face it, we want that area to change, whatever it might be, whether it's your health or your wealth or your relationship or anything else. So the mind is a sense organ, very important. And with everyone blobbing into you, it's going to be muddying the waters literally around you or lifting you. So for instance, if you're wanting to work on a health-related thing, say you want to get fit and you just think, oh, I'm hopeless at it, I never do it, I never stick to it, blah blah well, you've probably got pretty bad thought patterns in that area. It's not a criticism, it's just an is. Well, what if you want, went and hung out at a gym? Well, you're going to meet more blobbiness there that is uplifting, where people actually look after their bodies and that will blob into you and it will also start to help you overcome your negative blobbiness, <laughs> if you see what I mean, and that by hanging out with people who've already attained what you want to attain, it just blobs into us. It's, it's not even something you have to study per se. It's just the presence, it's the beingness of being around people who've already attained what you want to attain. And so cultivate friends, cultivate associations, join clubs, do stuff where the members of those clubs have already attained something that you want to attain. And then, of course, the ego goes, yeah, but I'll be hopeless. They'll think I'm hopeless. You know, my body's not fit and trim and gorgeous, so therefore they're going to laugh at me. Well, it's like too bad. You just go and blob into them and, and it will help you lift into the next thing. And the more you love you, the more that will blob out around you and people will respect you and they'll want to help you. So I've seen this so many times over my life uh, since I started to become conscious about it. So just um, have a go at, um, at this kind of thing. David just asked, was that two or three weeks ago or years ago? Years. Yeah, I'd love to say it was weeks, but generally not. 
The only people who can manifest that fast are very, very, very high masters. Generally speaking, it takes a lot longer. And the state of your consciousness will actually give rise to how long it takes for something that you're thinking to manifest and the state of your energy, how much energy do you carry. If you don't carry very much energy, it'll take a long time to create anything different. If you work on your energy centers, your centers of consciousness, and you start to develop a lot of energy, then your capacity to bring change will be hastened because there's so much energy. And then, of course, you're going to have to look at what am I thinking a little more stringently than than what you might be at the moment. Yes, exactly. People tend to take you at your own reckoning. That is true. All right, so let's uh, move on. So it's just food for thought, all this stuff, isn't it? So there's the blobbing. Energy and consciousness do transfer during emotional situations too. So here's a couple of people having an argument. It's probably a mother and a child and a teenager. And the teenager's copping it from a very angry mum there. And what's happening is all the anger coming out of the mother is going into the energy field of the teenager. And there'll be a reckoning for that because sooner or later the teenager who is compliant in this moment, because mum's definitely dominated her but later on that teenager is going to act out all that anger they won't have any choice so if we can learn how to clean up our own consciousness and not transfer that kind of rubbish that's going to be helpful but if we've been on the receiving end of that kind of thing it's going to be very helpful to learn how to clean it up so we don't act out in negative ways when people have dumped on us So just the kinds of things. Look at that girl in the background. So the two guys are arguing. She's not even involved in their argument, but she's getting a headache because they're arguing. And how often have you been around people who are really in their stuff and even though it's not directed at you per se, you just feel off or you get a headache or you start feeling really heavy and really tired. And that's because you've picked up their their energy that you don't really want to be carrying. A lot of medical folks, not just doctors, but nurses as well, and in fact anyone who's in the health arena, no matter what your role, whether you're a massage therapist or uh, anything, you will pick up a lot of energy from your clients and they will pick up energy from you. But the problem is that most of the clients you'll be seeing will be unwell and that's why they're coming to see you. And so the energetic exchange is one where the patient leaves feeling better, but the doctor is taking on more and more and more of the diseased or dirty energy that's coming from the client, from the patient. And that's one of the reasons why psychiatrists who are dealing with some people who are quite unwell mentally, they're required every year to undergo a psychiatric examination to see whether they've They've picked up stuff from their clients. It's, it's very well known, but they don't put it in terms of blobbing. <laughs> but that's really what's going on. I remember one uh, young person who came to see me uh, for a healing and um, he had been really picked on by his class teacher. And this kid was a mess. He really was. He'd gone from being quite bright to not doing very well and, you know, feeling sick. His mum was really worried because he wanted to stay home all the time. And 
when I put my hands in his energy field, started to clean, I could feel all this energy that wasn't his. So what we did was we released all the energy that he'd picked up from the teacher who had issues in her life that were nothing to do with him. And then we sent love to the teacher and I got him to understand, oh, she was having a bad day and it wasn't really you. She just was cranky and you happened to be there. And so he was able to release all that and the kid felt better. Like just after one session, the child was so much better. Then what happened was when the child went back to school again, uh, the teacher was nice to him. So if we hadn't cleared that out, he would have been holding her blobby energy and she would have reacted to it every time she saw him. But because we cleaned it out, we left nothing for her to react to and she, she just treated him like every other kid in the class and he then continued to thrive. So there's so many stories like this uh, that come from the lift work that we do. It's very uplifting, don't you think? If you live in a city there's more blobbing activity than if you live in the country, which is why a lot of spiritual masters tend to live in country environments. <laughs> if you look at the Himalayas in India, it's just like packed with uh, masters who don't want to be in cities. But anyway, we're not going to go and live in the Himalayas, but oh, you might, but I'm not going to. I'm staying where I am. Uh, but we, if we know how to get that stuff out, we can live anywhere. And this uh, information is not meant to make you feel that you can't do your job or you can't live where you live, but instead to just be aware that you might be suffering from some things that are not really yours. Thanks for joining me on this episode of Soul Talk. I hope the podcast has served you in creating a happier and more abundant life. If you've enjoyed the podcast, don't forget to subscribe rate and leave a review on your favorite podcast app. If you'd like to connect with me, head over to shaktidurga.com. Hallelujah.